Well, hello. For those of you here in person this morning, it's great to see your faces. Hello, hello, good morning. For those of you online watching live right now, hello, good morning. I can't see your face, so you're good wherever you're at in your pajamas. And wherever you're watching this, if it's some other time, good, whatever time it is. Hello. Uh, well, good morning. So today we're going to kind of just jump right into it, all right? So today our big idea, the concept we want to talk about is this idea that following God makes me stand out. So if you're a note taker, we're just, we're, last week I got the notes at like the very end and we just like rushed through them. So this week, I'm going to give you the first one right away. So we're changing things up. Following God makes me stand out. Now, let's be honest for a second. I think we all know a lot of church people who stand out because they're just kind of weird. You know what I'm talking about? Just kind of just like a little, little strange, kind of, kind of weird. Um, as church people, we do some strange things. We, we, do, we do a lot of strange things. Like, you know, we decide to take every logo that has ever been made and turn it into a church t-shirt. I don't know why, but it's a thing that we do. Here's a couple of examples. Air Jesus. I think he's holding a soccer ball, which is confusing. Uh, next one, fed up, just give God control. I wonder if anyone's ever like seen one of these t-shirts and like, yes, you're right, I should give God control. Anyways, I'm a bad person. Next one, Jesus, anybody singing the song in your head right now? He'll be there for, I'm sorry. All right, next one. That's a thing, that's a real t-shirt, that's a real t-shirt. And then I've got one more. There you go, the king of kings. We're strange, right? Um, sometimes we also have some really strange church signs. Have you guys ever seen these online? Maybe I just have a very strange internet search history, I guess. I don't know, but like, this is the thing I like to search and find is really strange and weird church signs. Like the signs people put out front of their churches, they put really weird things on there. So we're actually going to play a little game this morning. It's called Church Signs, Real or Fake? Uh, and this is actually volume two because there are so many of these. We've made multiple of this game. So we're going to put words there in the screen and you're going to guess. Give me a thumbs up if you think it's real. Give me a thumbs down if you think it's fake. And then be disappointed at all the real ones. All right, so let's go ahead with the first one. Whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you are going. Ouch! All right, let's, let's vote. <laughs> we got some like, that's definitely true. Uh, everybody online, do the same thing. Thumbs up, type yes, no, whatever. Just be active in the chat thing. All right. All right, got votes in. Is it real or fake? Real! Ouch. Ouch. Clay's Mill Road Baptist Church. All right, next one. Ready or not, here I come. Jesus. Real, fake. All right, we got mostly, mostly votes for real online. I, I can't see what you're voting. All right, next one. Or let's see the answer. Fake! You were wrong. You were wrong, but we all thought it was real, right? All right, next one. Walmart is not the only saving place. Please be real, right? We got get some, get some votes up. Please be real. This one is real. Real. All right, nice. All right, next one. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. Okay, I'm not Mr. Grammar Police, but that just feels like something's wrong there. Okay, let's see. This one has to be real. Yep, that's, that's a thing we would do. That's, all right, next one. God's love is deeper than this snow. Real fake. Let's get our votes in. And I don't see you voting. Thank you. Okay. Real. 
Yep, that one's for sure real. All right, next one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Jesus. Jesus who? Exactly. Gotcha. What? All right. Votes. Oh, real. Yep. The more ridiculous, the more real they are. All right, next one. If you're reading this, it's not too late. Jesus. We're adding things to the Gospels. Apparently, real, fake. This one is? Fake. Fake. Next one. Church parking lot. Violators will be baptized. <laughs> this one, I think, I think this is going on our sign next, next week, actually. So let's, let's see. This one is real. Yep. I, I'm down with this one. This one's good. I like this one. I got, yeah, Josh Grease. All right. Now is a good time to visit our pastor, Sonvik. This one hits a little close to home right now. This, this, <laughs> it's a great time to watch online, right? All right. Uh, everyone, we're, we got some split votes here. This one is real. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. How'd that pastor feel when you came back? He's like, guys, I'm back. Oh. All right. Next one. Or is that the last one? That was the last one? Okay, good. I'm very prepared today. All right. Uh, some of those are pretty awesome, right? So you think about it. What are those churches known for in their communities? Known for having awesome, like, hilarious signs, known for having ridiculous signs, known for being what? What are they known for, right? Better question, what are we known for? What are you known for? One of the things I love about, like, the church, like, Big C, like, all of the churches, is I think it creates this just beautiful tapestry of worship, that we can have so many different churches that have so many different expressions of worship that are all true and are all meaningful. And I think it just shows how big and how awesome our God is that he can't fit into any of our boxes of the way we do church, right? Sometimes we get a little too arrogant and think that we're the correct way. And like, No, we're just one of many ways, right? I think that's a beautiful tapestry that shows how awesome God is. But also there's some weirdos, Right? Also, there's some weirdos, and I'm not trying to be judgmental. If you know me, that, that is not me. I'm not judgy guy. That is not me at all. That is not who Crossroads is. We're not here to judge people. That, that's not us, right? But, you know, this, uh, this week I saw a video online of a, a church leader, of a pastor, saying that autism is not real because that word is not in the Bible, so it can't be real. And I'm like, mm. I get a little angry, I get a little upset, because like, come on, that's ridiculous, that's hurtful, and that's going to push people away from God, that's going to push people away from the gospel, and that's just, just ridiculous, right? I don't know how many times I've had to apologize to people for an experience they've had at another church. Almost every single time we get a new, um, like, young adult that comes to our young adult group, almost every time we get a new high school kid that comes to our high school groups, at some point, I end up apologizing for some experience they've had in a church. We just recently had a new student come with a friend and like, started having a panic attack just because he was in a church building because of some really bad experiences he had as a kid. And then he had not been back to church in years and years and years and then came back and he's like downstairs in the underground like having a panic attack. I was like, man, I am so sorry for whatever happened to you but you're going to be loved and accepted here and we're going to love you and God loves you and just please keep coming and be a part of our community. It happens too often. 
Too many times church people are known for being judgmental. We're known for what we're against. We're known for trying to be right all the time. Spoiler alert, that's not what should make us stand out, right? Our big idea today, this thing we're going to talk about is that as followers of God, we should stand out. We should be different, which for a lot of people is terrifying, right? A lot of people don't want to stand out. A lot of people don't want to be different and get a bunch of attention, and I get that. Um, a lot of people don't understand this because, you know, get up here and talk and do all this kind of stuff, but I'm a naturally very introverted person. Like, I don't, you know, like, my ideal day is me alone in my den with a really good book or a really good podcast or, let's be honest, a good TV series. <laughs> alone. Maybe with my dogs, you know. Um, speaking of which, here's my new puppy, Calvin. He's very cute. Isn't he adorable? I've got a couple pictures of him. He's awesome. Uh, he's a puppy. He stands out because he's a puppy, and that means he likes to chew on lots of things, and he's learned he can jump the fence in our backyard, so that's exciting, and he, he likes to try and search the house for any clothing item he can find, and then thinks he's doing a good job by bringing it to us, so we give a living room just full of clothes all the time, and he decided my wallet smelled like me this week, so he wanted to bring that to me, so that's my second chewed-up debit card, so... Puppies. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about today. ADD, sorry. Um, I actually wanted to bring him with me today and have him up here on stage, but Lee wouldn't let me. Come on, Lee. You're in your office watching this. It's not cool. Anyways. Um, So we're supposed to stand out. So maybe the better question to ask this morning is, what's that supposed to look like? If we're supposed to stand out, and maybe we're not supposed to stand out, maybe at the end of this you're going to realize that I don't know what I'm talking about, and you're going to be like, leave us, Brandon, you're an idiot. And that's (laughs) pretty true. But if we are supposed to stand out, what's that supposed to look like? Not weirdos, maybe weirdos, I don't know. Not judgmental, I think we know that part. I had a young adult uh, in the last year, and he was really interested in Jesus and learning about Jesus, learning about God. And so we met a couple times to talk about it. And he, his number one thing was he was afraid of being a weirdo. After we'd met and talked about some stuff, he asked me, he's like, Brandon, like, I'm really interested in this whole Jesus thing, but do I have to be like a, do I have to be a weirdo? Do I have to wear those ridiculous like Christian t-shirts? <laughs> no, man, you don't have to wear those. So do we have to be a weirdo? Yes, question mark. I don't know. I mean, I think living a life where we follow God is going to make us look different than what the world looks like. I think that's, that's pretty true. We're going to look different. We're going to stand out, but But how? So the next few minutes, I want to talk about John the Baptist, one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he's strange. He, when I think about, like, okay, how are we going like, to pre- prepare a message around this? Who, who is a weirdo in the Bible we can talk about? Maybe we're supposed to be like him. So we're going to talk about John the Baptist. He was very strange. If you know anything about him, you, you know that. We're going to get to it in a minute. But John the Baptist, this is really interesting. He was in all four Gospels. If you don't know much about the Bible, the Bible is in like two big sections. There's the Old Testament, which is everything that happens before Jesus. And there's the New Testament that starts with four books called the Gospels that are just about Jesus's life. And then um, however many books that come after that about what happened right after Jesus left. And that's that's the Bible. So there's four books that are all about Jesus's life. And they don't share many stories in common. Um, Mark was the first one to be written. I don't know why it's not the first one in the order of things. I don't know that, but it was the first one written. And the other guys, when they wrote, wrote their gospels, they had read Mark. Like they had read Mark's gospel, and then they included the things that Mark missed or that they thought that he left out or, or different experiences, whatever. There's a reason there's four of them, because we need 
different views on things, right? But all four, knowing that the other ones had written about John the Baptist, all write about John the Baptist. I find that fascinating. That's interesting. He must have been a very important character in this whole story life of Jesus thing if all four of them included him. There's only really two, there's like crucifixion, resurrection, Easter, all of that stuff. They all include that because that's a really huge deal. They all include Jesus feeding the 5,000 people and John the Baptist, and that's it. So John has to be a really big deal if they all include him, right? So what's some other stuff we know about John? John was related to Jesus somehow, probably a cousin. We're not exactly sure. We're not exactly sure how close that they were, how well do they know each other. It's really cool, like part of the Christmas story where like uh, when they're both in their mom's bellies and they show up and John like jumps for joy, which I don't know how that worked, but it's pretty cool. Um, Anyways, John the Baptist must be a pretty big deal. So let's jump right in. We're going to start in Mark, because Mark was the first one to write all of this. So we're going to start with Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the very first thing Mark records, which is also interesting, right? Mark is the first person to write a gospel, to write a like, biography of Jesus, and he skips the whole Christmas story and goes right to John the Baptist. I find that fascinating. Anyways, this is the first thing Mark writes, the first thing really written about Jesus. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. So John, the, someone is going to show up before Jesus to prepare people, to prepare the way. Okay, that's the first two verses. Verse 3 is where it gets interesting. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Verse 4, this messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness. That's weird. Just in the wilderness? Like that's, what? Just in the wilderness? Maybe he was like, I, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, he was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. This is all before Jesus. This is someone preparing the way for Jesus. That's what John the Baptist's job was. That's what his role was, prepare people for Jesus. So John just, according to this, appears in the wilderness. Like, what? Wait, wait I, you just, what? You just appeared in the wilderness? You just out chilling in the, like, in the woods? You out in, like, in the desert just like hanging out in a deer blind? Like, some of you are like, yes, let's, that's in the Bible. Let's go right now, right? Like, I see some of you smiling and nodding. It's in the Bible, so go do it. Um, John is just out in the wilderness chilling and then he shows up to pray the way for Jesus. And what does he say to do? He says he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What? That's a mouthful, right? Like I had to like read that as I read it because that's a lot of like big churchy words that probably nobody understands. And when, if you just read the Bible as like just a, a book and you don't have all of your previous knowledge of like churchy things and you've never like had never been to a baptism like experience or service before, this is the first time the word baptized or baptism appears in the Bible. Like it wasn't in the Old Testament. So when Mark writes this, if you're just like a person reading this for the first time, you'd be like, and then what? What's a, what's a baptized? What's a, what's, a bap, what's a baptism? That would be weird, right? So what is baptism? Because that's what John was doing. He's saying repent from your sins and be Baptized. This guy just shows up out of the wilderness waiting for this Messiah to like magically show up to prepare the way. And okay, side note, this is nothing to do with anything, but um, as some of you know, I get a little ADD. So does this sound a little bit like Obi-Wan Kenobi? 
Any Star Wars fans out there? Like, a little bit, a little bit. Like, every time I read about John the Baptist, I'm like, it's Obi-Wan. They stole this. How dare they? Also, he has his own show coming out soon this year in Disney+. Plus. So maybe I'm just a weirdo, but I'm in. All right, anyways, back to John. What are we talking about? Back to John the Baptist. Shows up in the wilderness. Um, weird, right? So I always had this picture of John being this wild man living in the wilderness. What's he doing out in the wilderness anyway, right? We're going to skip ahead a verse. We're going to skip to verse 6 to kind of figure out what John was doing in the wilderness. Verse 6 says, his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. Anybody ever worn camel hair? Is that, is that a thing now? Is like, a, like, I don't understand how these teenagers dress anymore. Like, is that a thing now? We're all wearing camel hair? Yes? No? No? Not so much? Okay. Doesn't seem comfortable, right? Coarse camel hair? Anyways, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. That makes sense. His food, this is gross. He ate locusts and wild honey. You know what a locust is? It's like a giant bug. Like, not like a little, like we get in Michigan, like a giant, like South Carolina-sized fly. Like, that's what he ate. That was his diet. So he's just chilling out in the wilderness, in his deer blind, in the desert, wherever he was at, wearing camel's hair. I always picture like crazy wild man walking in this like wearing camel stuff, eating bugs. Hey guys, uh, repent, be baptized. Uh, uh, and you're just like, whoa, no thanks, man. I'm good. I'm gonna go back and watch Obi Wan Kenobi over here. Oh no, that's you too. Crap. Anyway, anyways, he's this wild man, right? Saying people should be baptized, and we've never seen that word before in the Bible. But apparently, Mark doesn't explain what it is, so people like, that were reading this knew what it was. So like, some history there between the Old Testament, the ending in this part, they had started this baptism thing, which we're going to get to in a minute, but um, it's weird. John shows up out of the desert, wearing camel's hair, eating bugs, telling everyone to be baptized. So let's talk about that for a second. What is baptism? Where did this whole thing come from? This idea that all of the gospel writers include, but none of them really explain. Well, we see that they all are saying this is a baptism of repentance, right? John is basically preaching, hey, repent from your sins because the Messiah is here. We know ancient Jews had been waiting for this Messiah. He had been promised. There had been all of these like prophecies. Messiah is going to come. So John's saying, hey, it's about to happen. He's here. He's alive. He hasn't started like doing his thing yet, but he's here. So you all got to get yourselves ready. Repent. Get ready for this Savior. He is here. The Messiah is here. So be baptized. Now, when we do baptisms now, we kind of have an idea of what it's about, right? We have this idea and it's that we do it after someone makes a decision to follow Jesus, right? But John was preaching before Jesus had done his whole thing, so this has to be a little bit different, but basically the same thing. See, baptism, it's this ritual of an outward symbol for something that's happening internally. Does that make sense? It's something that we do outwardly to show what is happening inside of us. It's this picture of our sins being cleansed and washed away. In the Old Testament, they had different cleansing rituals to kind of show this. They just didn't have baptism yet. But that's where we eventually get baptism is from those Old Testament cleansing rituals. And I'm not going to go full Bible nerd and explain all of that history. But if you're a fellow Bible nerd and you want to know it, just ask me because I would love to talk about it because I'm a weirdo. 
Baptism doesn't actually forgive our sins. It doesn't actually wash anything away from us. It's just a symbol of what God has done when God forgives us and he washes us clean and he creates a new person inside of us. That symbol when we come out of the water in baptism, we dunk somebody in water, we bring them back up, that we are now clean. We are a new creation. It's also a symbol because normally this is something we do in the context of community. We do it with people. We do it in front of people because it's a way that we say we are going public with our faith because we want to tell everybody about this thing that God has done inside of us, right? So when they start talking about baptism, basically they're saying, we're going to do this cleansing ritual to show what's going on inside of us that we're trying to wash away our sins and we're going to repent. All right, we have a baptism coming up in a couple weeks. There's still time to sign up. So if that's something you would be interested in, Sign up. It's an awesome, awesome experience. So John is this man wearing camel hair, eating bugs, eating honey, showing up, telling people, repent and be baptized. Read verse 5 with me. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. When they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. All the people came out. This is confusing to me as, as well. And anybody that knows me knows I get confused pretty easily and pretty often, especially when I read the Bible. But if John is this crazy, weird, wild man showing up with his camel hair and his hair's all crazy and he's eating bugs, like all the people aren't going to show up. All the people showed up. So those people go, maybe I have the wrong picture of, of John, of John the Baptist. This super important character that's included in all four Gospels is not just some crazy, wild Obi-Wan Kenobi guy. He's got to be a little different, right? He stood out for what he believed because all these people show up to hear what he's saying. So what made him stand out? Well, once again, I'm not going to go full Bible nerddom. There we go. Because um, Keisha tells me not to. So if you're a person that wants the full Bible nerddom, then you can be upset with Keisha. If you're everyone here, then you can be happy with Keisha. Um, but with some new discoveries in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have actually have a lot of evidence now to think that John the Baptist was a part of this group of people, this, this sect of Judaism called the Essenes. And basically, they lived out in the desert in these monasteries and studied Scripture, studied the Bible. One of their huge things was about preparing people for the coming Messiah. Sounds like what John's saying. They actually, we have found records that they had, they're the only group of Jews that we know that actually had, here's how you cook, and here's how you eat locusts and grasshoppers and bugs. Sound like John the Baptist. They lived very simply. They didn't go and have fancy clothes. They wore stuff made out of camel's hair. So John the Baptist. And the more I learn about this group of people, the more I'm like, yeah, this fits a lot of the things that John was teaching. So if you want to go full Bible nerddom, go this week and do some Googling on the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S, I just probably spelled that wrong, even though it's from reading it. Anyways, so being this crazy, weird, wild guy, that's not what made John the Baptist different. That's not what made him stand out. So what did? So what did? What made him stand out, right? This morning we're talking about, as a follower of God, I'm supposed to stand out. Well, John the Baptist was someone who stood out. He was different, but in a good way that made everybody want to come and hear what he was talking about. So what was it about him? What, what can we learn that we can also stand out in that same way? Well, let's look at what he was, what was he preaching? What was he saying? Mark 1 verses 4 
This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness. He preached that people should be baptized to show they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Let's look at what Matthew in his gospel, what does he say? Matthew 3, verses 2. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let's look at Luke 3, 3. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Baptism of repentance. This is important. This is really, really, really important. Repent is an important word. It's a very important concept for people that are followers of Jesus, followers of God. But something I'm not sure we always understand correctly, something I'm not sure I really understood correctly until I kind of did a deep dive on it this week. Here's what I found. Uh, this guy, David Gusick, he writes commentaries. And here's what I found in his commentary on the book of Matthew. Repent is the first word of John the Baptist. First thing John the Baptist says is repent. Interesting. Repent is the first word of Jesus' gospel. Repent is the first word in the preaching ministry of the 12 disciples. Repent is the first word in the instructions that Jesus gave his disciples after the resurrection. Repent is the first word of exhortation in the first Christian sermon in Acts 2. Repent is also the first word out of the mouth of Apostle Paul after he goes through his transformation to following Jesus, the first thing he says is, repent. That's a lot of firsts. All of these very important people, John the Baptist, one of the most important people in all four Gospels. The Apostle Paul wrote pretty much the rest of the, this is just a New Testament. He wrote most of this. First, the word he says is repent. It's got to be important, right? So what does that word mean? Well, this word is the same Greek word used in all these different places. It means, it means this. It means a change of mind. So repent, if you're taking notes, means change of mind. So we could basically change this big long term of a baptism of repentance into, we're going to make it even more difficult, ready? A cleansing ritual showing that you have had a change of mind. But that doesn't look as cool in a t-shirt, so we're probably not going to go with that. But I love this. First thing in the Gospels is John saying, hey, we need to change our minds. And not just like change our mind on which shoes to wear this morning, but like drastically change the way we think. The first thing Jesus preaches is, hey, you need a change of mind. The first thing Paul says when he starts preaching is, hey, guys, how about we change our minds a little bit? Anybody in their life feel like they could benefit from a change of a mindset? Amen, right? Stop seeing only negative things and start seeing God at work around us. Stop thinking about myself first and start loving my neighbor to fight depression and start to experience God's peace. How about a change of mind? To fight sin, fight temptation, be able to focus on the kingdom of God. How about a change of mind? To stop judging people and really start loving people? How about a change of mind? That's what made John the Baptist stand out. Not his clothes, not his strange dietary choices, his message. Change your mind. Change the way your mind thinks. Change your mindset because the kingdom of God 
is near. The Messiah is here. And you need to repent to change your mind. I love this concept. Because I've always heard repent as like this kind of negative connotation of like, repent, 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 you're a bad person. And that's not it at all. Repent is a beautiful thing. Saying, no, we have to change the way our mind works so that we can get something better. God is not some angry, mean God saying, don't do this, don't sin, because he's trying to keep us from having a good life. He's saying, no, 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 I know what happens when you sin. It hurts you, it hurts the people around you, so please don't do it. Repent, change your mind, focus on something better, on something different, because it's going to lead to a better life for you and for people around you. God doesn't want us to repent because he's just trying to like whatever. There's a reason. There's a purpose. It's because God loves you. And I don't know why we have such a hard time with that. We know God loves us. We know God is obviously way smarter than all of us, but we're still like, nah, let me do things my way. Why? Can I be real vulnerable with you guys for a minute? This could be hard for us pastors. We, we need to repent. We need to change the way our minds think. Sometimes we think if we're too honest, then you guys will stop trusting us and stop listening to us because you realize that we are very imperfect idiots. A few years ago, I got stuck into a cycle of sin. I call these sin cycles where you just can't seem to get out of it. And we try and focus on the sin and say, I'm going to stop doing this. But our brains don't work that way. Our brains don't process the word no or stop very well. If you ever around little kids, you understand this. Our brains just don't. So when you say stop doing this, your brain really just hears do this, right? If we want to get out of a sin cycle, we have to not focus on don't sin, but focus on an opposite virtue that as we focus on that, we will kind of stop sinning because now we're focused on something different, right? Well, a few years ago, I, I had one of these sin cycles. Not going to the full story, but we'd gotten into some financial trouble, some financial issues, and without Keisha knowing it, I tried to get us out of it because I was an arrogant idiot. And in trying to get us out of it, I just dug us into a deeper hole, started opening up some credit cards. She didn't know any of it. And then that snowballs, that balloons, and it just gets awful. And it, it was awful. The worst part was I kept lying to my wife because she didn't know. Because she didn't know. And she keep asking, are we okay? Are we, are we? Like, yeah, we're, yeah, nope, we're not good. But I kept lying. And this went on for a while, a couple of years, until it was just that, that, that sin eats us. It was literally eating me alive. I'm still dealing with the depression that comes from that. That sin was eating me away until we just couldn't do it anymore. The enemy, I let the enemy get a stronghold in my life. I had to hide everything. So I had to keep lying, and then lies on top of lies, and then a lie to cover up this, and it just, it, it was awful. It was exhausting. And it hurt the people closest to me. It was bad. Finally, it got to the point where, you know, I confessed. Confessed to Keisha, confessed to my family, church leadership, what was going on. And we've been digging ourselves out since... And I wish I could tell you it was a prick. You know, and confession is huge. It's a whole message based on confession that we should be doing because of the power and the release of just confessing things. 
And I hope this will help me in my own personal healing journey in this. And I wish that I could tell you that it was just a, okay, confessed it, bam, good. Focused on some other virtues, and now I'm, now I'm, it's not how it works. It's a process. As humans, we want progress, not perfection, and I am far from perfect. But we're trying to progress. God doesn't hate sin for no reason. He hated that sin because he knew how much it was hurting me. He hated that sin because he knew how much it was hurting the people closest to me. He knew how much it was hurting my relationship with my wife. And that's what God cares about. People and our relationships. So following God makes me stand out. And it's, it was really, really, really hard to stand out for the right reasons when I was in this cycle of sin. That's why John preached, repent. That's why Paul preached, repent. That's why the 12 disciples preached, repent. That's why Jesus preached, repent. I needed a change of mind. I still need a change of mind. We all need a change of mind. It's not easy. It's worth it. So we can learn a lot from John the Baptist. Probably not that we're supposed to go live in the wilderness and eat bugs, although, you know, the more I learn about the Essenes, that might not be that bad of an idea. But I think we can learn we need to change of mind. I think we learned the thing that made him stand out was his radical love for God, that he was willing to live a crazy radical life because that's what God called him to. He was committed to a couple things. He was committed to pointing people towards Jesus, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The Messiah is here. John was all in on pointing people towards Jesus. We should be all in on pointing people towards Jesus. That should make us different. Nothing else mattered to him. We get set on this American standard of living, and John, was he could care less about that. He was set on a kingdom standard of living. Which one are you set on? Following God means we put away our own sinful desires and daily take up our cross to follow God. Daily, not just on Sundays, daily. It means we stop living for ourselves and we look different because we're living for other people. So how should we live? Basically, I took a really long road today because I'm a pastor and that's what we do. Basically, just to say this, following God makes you stand out. How? Not by being judgmental, not by always trying to be right, but by focusing on the fruits of the Spirit. Scott gave a great sermon on this a couple weeks ago. Go back and look at that to get more information. But here's the basics of it. Here's Galatians chapter 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, out, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, it's a weird sentence, but this is a great but. We all understand sin. We all understand sin because we are sinful human beings. 
we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven because sin that we all have. But, but, I love that, but. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross. I love this verse. Those who belong to Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them. Our sinful desires, they have been nailed to the cross of Jesus and they are gone. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So we're supposed to be different. How? Our lives should look like the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I probably missed a couple. As a follower of God, that's what our life should look like. So as we, as we finish this morning, wherever you're at, whether you're here, whether you're online somewhere, on your couch, wherever, we're going to take a minute of honesty. If you look at your life, do one of those really honest looks in the mirror. These, these are hard but necessary things in life. Does your life show the fruits of the Spirit? Mine doesn't always. Some days, some days not. Do some honest reflection. Following God makes us stand out. Not by ridiculous t-shirts. Not by thinking autism's not real. But because we are a community of people focused on Jesus, who have nailed our sinful desires to his cross and we have left them there and we are focused on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Not things we see in many people these days. As a church, do we have those things? As a follower of Jesus, do some reflection. Do some reflection. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to come down to earth, to die for us, to forgive all of our sins, and to show us a better way of life. That we can repent we can change the way we think. Not on our own. Not by our own power, because I've tried and failed. But because of you and your power. And right now, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, and you're like, I, that, that sounds good. I want a life where I get those fruits of the Spirit, where I have love and joy and peace and patience. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to have it all figured out. All you need to know is that you need to repent. 
Ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Commit to following him. Commit to changing your mind and the way you think by focusing on those fruits of the Spirit. We love you, Jesus. Pray us all in your awesome holy name. Amen.